There was a, a little boy doing a school project on his family. So he came up to his dad and he said, Dad, where did I come from? Flustered father was like, uh, a stork brought you. Uh, the boy thought that was strange, so he went to his mom and he said, Mom, where did you come from? She said, well, I was found under a gooseberry bush. So he went to his granny who lived with them and he said to her, where did you come from? And she said, a stork brought me. So the boy went to do his project and he started it off when he got back to school by saying, there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. <laughs> I don't know if there is such a thing as a normal birth. Everyone is unique and special and we've had a few in our congregation in the last couple months and it's been wonderful. But I do know that one birth stands out and it's the birth of a child that we celebrate every December. For those of us who know and love Jesus, we look forward to celebrating this birth every December. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, as Kevin informed us this morning earlier, and it's a time of preparation and anticipation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus, where God the Son was born as a human. When the king of the universe came near, moved into the neighborhood, became one of us in order to show the way, to be the way, and to make the way for us to be able to have real life. Life as God intended, life in relationship with God. One of the marks of the season of Advent, the anticipation of Christmas, is the playing of Christmas songs. Now, I don't know how you feel about when those Christmas songs should start playing. I had a roommate who started playing them in early October, I think it was. Some of you may think it shouldn't start until Christmas Eve, but Christmas, is, Christmas songs are a part of Christmas time, and I was surprised after a little internet searching to find that there are nearly 200,000 unique Christmas songs. Uh, 200,000 unique Christmas songs. I never really thought about it, but Christmas music is its own genre. I, I don't know any other holiday that has its own genre of music. Well, this Advent, we're going to be looking at songs of Christmas, and don't worry, we're not going to study 200,000 songs. Uh, we're going to be looking at the first Christmas songs ever recorded, and those are recorded in the book of Luke in the New Testament of the Bible. And today's song is the first Christmas song ever written because it was actually written before the birth of Jesus by his mother, Mary, while Jesus was in the womb. This song is recorded in Luke 1, verses 46 through 55, and it's known as the Magnificat. And Kevin read it for us earlier. Uh, in the Latin translation, the first word is Magnificat. As I read and studied this song of Mary, I was surprised to learn that in many different Christian traditions, uh, people recited this prayer every time they gathered. It was a regular part of church gatherings in, in many traditions. And, and many people sang this song every day down through history. But I was even more surprised to learn that this song is so revolutionary that the governments of India, Guatemala, and Argentina 
banned the public singing or display of this song. A famous Methodist preacher and scholar named E. Stanley Jones said that Mary's Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Are you intrigued as I am? Have I whet your appetite about this song? What is this song? And what, is, what makes it so powerful? Well, let's take a look at the song again. Turn to Luke 1, 46 to 55. And while you're turning there, I'll set the scene a little bit. Earlier in the chapter, the angel Gabriel appeared to a priest named Zechariah who had a wife named Elizabeth. Despite trying over and over again, they remained childless. They couldn't have children, and they, they were too old now to have children. Well, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said, Elizabeth is going to give birth in her old age, and she would give birth to John the Baptist. Later, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, and he told her that she would be having a son and that his, her son would be named Jesus. Mary was not too old to have children, but she had a different obstacle to pregnancy. She was young, she was engaged to be married, but was not married, so she was a virgin. Being the astute young woman that she was, she asked Gabriel, how can this happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. It's physically impossible. And Gabriel said the Holy Spirit would make it spiritually possible. And he told her about another miracle that she didn't know about yet. Her, cousin, her um, relative, her aunt Elizabeth, who was too old to have children, was already six months pregnant. Mary didn't question him any further. She just said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then she jumped up and she booked it to Elizabeth's house. Now, this wasn't just going across the street or across town. This was a long and arduous, even dangerous journey, probably about four or five days walking nine hours a day. When she got there, Elizabeth greeted her, and the six-month baby leaped in her, room, in her womb, the Bible tells us, leaped for joy, and, and Elizabeth, empowered by the Spirit, sang her own song to Mary. And actually, let's read verse 42. We'll read a few verses here. It says, In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If Mary was looking for any kind of confirmation from Elizabeth about what the angel Gabriel had told her, she surely had found it. She's, the door is opened and there's Elizabeth, her old aunt, too old to have children, six months pregnant. And then these words that are empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, talking about the child that she was bearing. And Elizabeth knew what the angel Gabriel had told her. 
that her child would be the Lord. What an assurance of what the angel Gabriel had told her. As she was probably pondering this five days as she journeyed, this treacherous journey, putting one foot in front of the other, trying to get to her aunt, and, and her mind was in a whirl, contemplating all that the angel said. How can this be? And then she sees this evidence of Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy and, and these profound words about her being so blessed. And, and after all of this, she bursts into song the thoughts and emotions that have been swirling around in her mind just come out in this beautiful song that we read in, Mark, in Luke 1, uh, 46 to 55. So let's uh, read those words, those, this song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's such a beautiful song of hope and of joy and praise to the Almighty God for his plan and his privilege to be part of his plan. And it's also amazing in its depth of reflection and understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, specifically the Psalms and the prophets and, and Exodus. Nearly every line can be traced back to a Psalm or, or, or a prophet or, or Exodus which goes to show how immersed Mary would have been in Scripture, how much she would have taken it in and made it her own and meditated on it and thought about it and made it personal. She's understood that God has an overarching plan and, and, then, and then that she has a part in it. But what's so revolutionary about this psalm? Why would governments ban this song from being sung or displayed? Pastor Joe Lagardia notes four types of revolutionary, revolutions in Mary's song. Spiritual, I would call this personal, personal spiritual. Political, socioeconomic, and historical. So four different ways it's revolutionary. The spiritual or personal revolution is seen in verses 46 through 50. Mary glorifies and rejoices in God with her whole being. She says, my soul, in verse 46, and my spirit, in verse 47, these aren't really necessarily two different parts of her, but the indication, it's poetic, it's, it's symmetry, it's my whole being, everything about me, crying out to God in recognition that he is the one that can save her. And not only is he able to save her, but he has noticed her and he is saving her. He's mindful of her humble state and he's acting to save she knows that God owes her nothing, but he has chosen to bless her. She recognizes that from this moment on, she will be called blessed, but not because of anything she has done or anything she has proven about herself, but because the Mighty One chose her and because he chose to put his child in her. She knows that God 
um, knows her nothing. And in verse 50, Mary moves from her personal blessing to the recognition that God's mercy extends to all who fear God. She's not the only one who's blessed, anyone who humbles themselves before God and recognizes that it's God that saves them and fears him. They are the ones who are saved. It's revolutionary because the Almighty God reaches down to save not the rich and the powerful who would be expected to be saved, not those who prove themselves, who've, who've done all this stuff, but he's saved the humble and recognizes their need for saving and acknowledge those who acknowledge that they need saving and they revere God's might and his holiness. And then verses 51 to 52 speak of a political revolution. It's not the rulers or those in power who, or those who are proud of all that they've done, all that they've achieved who are lifted up. It's the humble who are lifted up. Those with power and pride, they're scattered. The metaphorical mighty arm of the Lord acts for the humble against the proud. No king or politically powerful person wants to hear this. No wonder this song was banned. It's a reminder to kings and queens and emperors and those in in authoritarian power that they're not the ultimate authority because God is. And he blesses not those who rely on their power and their pride, but those who are humble and recognize their need. Verse 53 conveys a socioeconomic revolution. In the ancient world, just as today, it's the rich who are thought of as blessed. They're the ones that have everything. They're the ones that are enjoying life. They don't, they've worked hard, they've gained the fruits of their labor, and now they can take it easy because of all that they have achieved. But Mary's song reminds us that it's not the rich who trust in their riches and their own abilities who have ultimate fulfillment. In fact, the rich will be sent away empty-handed because God will fill those who are hungry for him, who put their hope and trust in him. They will be the ones that are filled with the good things of God, the things that truly matter. The historical revolution is developed in verses 54 through 55. The promise God gave to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, was that God would bless Abraham, that he would make his descendants into a great nation and that all nations would be blessed through him. Mary recognizes that what God is doing in her would be the fulfillment of this promise. God has remembered what he promised in history and he's being merciful. He's fulfilling his promise. He's, he's acting, he's coming. He's, he, through, the, through her, the blessing will be fulfilled and that blessing is growing inside of her womb. Theologian James R. Edwards explains the significance of Mary's song and his commentary on Luke this way. This is a bit of a long quote, so pay attention. The essence of the Magnificat does not consist in its particular language or figures of speech, but in its revolutionary blueprint of divine favor. It is a hymn not of the proud, but of the powerless, not of just deserts, but of unexpected grace, not of a world fully controlled and determined by human powers, but overturned by divine comedy. 
God is the subject of nearly every verb, and the verbs are all transitive. They don't declare who God is, but what God does as the powerful deliverer of the needy and the oppressed. God does not turn away from uh, want and oppression, but toward both in compassion and rescuing intervention. And listen to this. In most religions, a meeting with God requires the low to ascend high, sinners to become saints. The Magnificat reverses all protocol and expectations. God, who is high, becomes low. He sees human need and initiates a revolution that reorders reality. The transcendent God intercedes on behalf of a lowly young woman and calls her blessed. The Almighty gives mercy to those who fear him and scatters the strong, the proud, the rich, while filling the hungry and needy with all good things. No wonder this song was so feared by those in power because they're depending on their power. And if they lose that power, they lose everything. This song from God's word is saying that God is going to do just that. He's gonna take away their power. He's gonna raise up the humble, a complete reversal of everything that they know. So what does this song have to do with us? What does it say to us today, those of us living in West Kelowna in 2023? I think it's just as revolutionary today as it's ever been. Which means that for some of us, the truths of this song are a gentle rain on a parched heart, a solace for the despairing, a relief from interminable distress. For others of us, the truths of this song are a harsh, indictment and a threat to our lifestyle. Mary was a teenage girl living in a time when women's worth came from bearing children. However, bearing children outside of marriage was unacceptable. So Mary is this young woman with no children being told that she's going to have a child outside of marriage. She was at the low end of society socially rejectable, economically disadvantaged, having no power, feeling extremely vulnerable. Yet she is the one God chose to bear the Messiah, the Son of God, the chosen one who would totally upend the established order. Notice she says in her prayer that God extends his mercy to those like her, those who fear God, that he lifts up the humble, that he feels the hungry, the comfort and beauty of this song is for those who have no power, no wealth, and know they need rescue. On the other hand, it's the proud who are scattered, those with power who are brought down, and it's the rich who are sent away empty. The indictment and the threat in this psalm, this song is toward those who don't acknowledge their need, who think they're self-sufficient and have it all figured out who are satisfied with themselves and all that they have achieved. Mary's song is all about God challenging the status quo. God's plan is to totally disrupt conventional wisdom. All that is familiar with a better way, the way of truth, the way of goodness, beauty, and justice, where those who are hurting and powerless and hungry will be lifted up and filled. And those who are proud of themselves, who exert their power, who are self-satisfied will be brought down. So you can see this is good news 
or bad news depending on your attitude and your position. Which means this is good and wonderful news for some of us. And it's an intimidating challenge to many of us because we do have wealth. We do have means. We're not hungry. But there's hope for all of us because God wants all people to know him. And he offers the gift of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life to anyone who will receive him. So what do we do? We reject our pride and we humble ourselves. Recognize your pride. Admit that no matter how much power or wealth you could ever have or you do have, it could be gone just like that. It's not up to you. It's up to God. So reject your pride. Come to God and submit to him. Put your trust and your hope in him. If you're wealthy, which many of us are, recognize that God can use that wealth for the benefit of others. Offer it to God. Be willing to help those that God lays upon your heart. Ask him to trust Ask him to help you trust him for security, not your wealth. This is so challenging to me. Growing up where I've been taught over and over and over again to be ready for anything. How do I trust God instead of my wealth? We need God's help. We need saving from ourselves. Be willing to give more than you feel comfortable giving. Trusting that he will take care of you. The first step in all of this is a recognition of where you are. A recognition. I am wealthy. I am proud. And being able to admit it and willing to change. When, you're on, when you honestly acknowledge your pride and where you are before God, when you admit that you are wrong and he is right, when you recognize that you need him, and express your willingness to be changed, he will be your savior. He will begin to change your heart. And this song of Mary can be beautiful and comforting to you, no matter where you are. No matter how good we might look on the outside, every one of us is messed up. Every one of us is hungry for something more than anything else on earth can offer. We're all in need. Admit it. Come to Jesus and submit to him. Let's pray. God, this song is a challenge. And I have to admit to me, it's a threat. Because I've grown up with a lot of advantage. And so, Lord, I admit that before you. And I pray that we would admit our wealth and our status before you and that we would humbly come to you and submit to you, that we would reject our pride. And Lord, may this song be beautiful to all of us because we know we are needy. We know we need you to change our hearts. We know we need you to reorder our priorities. We know that we need to trust you, not our wealth, not our pride, not anything else. And God, may this be a comfort to more and more people.
may we be a witness by what you do in our lives to those around us. Thank you so much for Jesus and that he's willing to save all of us if we are willing to admit we need him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.